You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called the portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Welcome back everyone to Always Picking Electric Securities. It's your host Alex Marku. Today is December 16th, 2021. And on today's episode, I'm going to let you know the two new plays I have for this apes portfolio. I'm going to go over the insane parlay I hit for my gambling account, which won me $250 off of a $10 risk bet. And then with some of the winnings from that bet, I'm going to scatter it into some college football plays and NFL plays over the weekend. And then to wrap up the episode, I'm going to give you a lesson on the statement of cash flows. And then that'll finally put an end on the lesson for these financial statements. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Financial disclaimer. Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Welcome back my apes and retail investors that think alike. Today's investing segment is going to be pretty quick. I'm going to give you an update on my apes portfolio and guess what? I hit that one NFL 10 team pick teaser that won me $250 off of $10 bet. So let's go baby. And then after my recap, I'll let you know what stock I plan on buying next because it's fallen over 80% and I'm banking on the fact that it's going to gain some of that ground back. And then I'll also let you know which crypto I plan on doubling down on, especially because the crypto market's fallen. I figure now is a perfect time to reinvest my money in that market, since it's down right now. So for the first order of business, let's go over the Apes portfolio. For the securities segment, which is valued as of yesterday's close, the total in there is at $447.03. In my cryptocurrency section, which as of yesterday at 6.30 Pacific time, the valuation in that account is $261.14. And then my gambling account is going to be valued at $439.80. That's a huge jump from the last time, and it's primarily because of that 10-team pick NFL teaser that I created. I'll be talking more about it in the gambling segment, so if you want to hear about it, be sure to tune in then. But because of that ridiculous bet that hit, and I say it's ridiculous because I needed 10 things to happen, I was able to will my portfolio back into the positive. I'm now standing at a valuation of $1,147.97. So I'm up 4.3%. And the last time I was talking to you, I believe I was down around 10%. So that's almost a 15% swing with just one stupid bet pick. I can't wait until my stocks, options, and cryptos follow suit. I just wonder what this account will be valued at then. And now I'll be moving on to the next plays I have in mind for this portfolio. One of which come off of my Yahoo Finance top gainers and losers method. And this stock is actually a top loser. I figure it's probably going to be hard on this podcast to pick a top gainer and then refer it to you because these top gainers life cycles normally only last one to two days. But the top losers, these ones are a little bit easier to try and time a swing on because all you have to do is get it on the dip and just hope that it rides back up, which is exactly what this next stock entitles. This next stock ticker is ADGI. The name of it, Adagio Therapeutics, I believe. Now I'm not gonna sit here and bullshit you and say Adagio Therapeutics is like Aerotime and they're an up-and-coming company with a brand new market scheme that'll be providing military services for years to come, so growth is through the roof with this kind of company. It's the kind of profits that are unimaginable, and you can get them below $10 today? That's a steal and a half. That's not the kind of bullshit I'm going to try and sell you on. What I will try and sell you on, though, 
was that this stock a couple days ago was at the $35 range. And then a news report came out on their antibody testing, which plummeted the stock to below $7. And right now as I'm talking to you because this recording is on a Wednesday night, the value of the stock is $6.35. What my plan is going to be is for tomorrow, which is going to be Friday, Friday morning, I'm going to be buying 10 shares of this at market price, regardless of what the price is. Because if you remember in my investing account, I have $147 worth of cash to play around with. So unless somehow by the grace of God, this stock reaches $14.70 on Friday, then I should have enough money to buy it. Because I'm going to be putting 10 shares worth, so if I was able to technically buy it right now as I'm talking to you, I would be spending $63. My guess is that this stock is going to be fluctuating within a dollar or two for the next two days. So on the high end, I'm probably going to be buying it around the $8 mark. And on the low end, if I'm lucky, I can get it back at 5 or $4. And I'd be misleading if I didn't at least tell you what the article was about. But I'd also be misleading if I told you that I completely read it. So I'll just read you the headline of the article, which is about as much of the reading as I've done on it, which was, Adego crashes as Omicron delivers a blow to its COVID antibody. So I read the first paragraph or two of this article, and essentially this Adego Therapeutics company had an antibody. And it just now came into a conclusion off of testing that this Omicron variant can actually surpass whatever the antibody testing is. Meaning, the antibodies that a Therapeutics provides for COVID are now worthless if that COVID patient has the Omicron variant. Now, I just use a whole lot of scientific jargon that I don't really understand, like all the variants and antibodies and what this stuff even means. Because if I told you what I think about this, you might laugh at me. And I'll tell you anyways. My interpretation of this is that a Therapeutics has an antibody. And I'm going to pretend that an antibody is like one of those Flintstone gummies. So I'm imagining that you can take these Flintstone gummies, and they're supposed to kind of keep you safe from COVID, or at least give you some kind of immunity against them. Well, it turns out that these Flintstone gummies are not protecting you against the Omicron variant. So that's why the stock fell from $35 to $6? I mean, if that's the true reason, then I'm super bullish on this. Because what happens if they come out with a report in a month or two? that their new Flintstone gummies now take care of the Omicron variant. Is their stock price now going to go from $7 to 30 Because if that's the case, I'm going to have so much fucking gains, and this account will too, and I'll love it. And the worst case scenario, I mean, it kind of has already happened. If I bought this stock at $35, I'd already be down 82%. So if I buy in right now at about $6 and I go down 82%, well, someone's holding a bigger bag than me, and I can feel slightly better about myself. <laughs> but now on a more serious note, the only reason I'm really even choosing this play is because I scalped it on my Yahoo Finance Top Losers. I believe it was on Tuesday that this stock fell about 70%, and then the next day it was on the stock's top losers list again because it was down about 20%. And honestly, I'm not one to truly break down this company and understand if an antibody test not being able to protect you from the Omicron variant is really that detrimental. But what I can tell you financially is that if a stock falls 82%, like I've seen in the past, there's a chance that it pulls back up. It doesn't have to pull back all the way up. It can pull up halfway through. That means the stock would still be at about $15, and that would still put us at a 100% gain for this stock pick, if that were to happen. So what my plan's going to be is to buy 10 shares of this stock on Friday, solely on the premise that it landed on the stock's top losers list back-to-back -back days, and it's fallen over 80% over the past 5 days. I also know that all it takes is one article coming out saying, we solved our Flintstone problem, and now our stock can be valued at $35 again, for me to start celebrating. And I figure since this is already a speculative play enough, there's no reason to make an option play on this, I might as well just buy the shares itself. Because as you can see with my core design play, if I just make an options play just out of pure whim, there's a chance it won't work out. But at least if I buy the shares, I can just hold on to those suckers forever until the company either gets delisted and then I'm forced to give away my shares, or they eventually skyrocket up for no apparent reason, and then I can get rid of them then. So now that you know what the next play is for this Apes portfolio, I want to reiterate that it is not a smart play at all. 
but these are the kind of dumb plays I made all the time in my Robinhood account, so I could eventually double it within a couple months. So I mean, I'm not here to say I know what I'm doing, but it's worked in the past, so I'm trying to see if it works again. And then while I have you here on a stock discussion, I want to let you... I wanted to talk about some other stocks I've discussed on this podcast, but I'm not going to be buying for this portfolio. One of them that I've mentioned before is Overstock. I just recently looked at Overstock, and they're at about $67 right now. The last time I believe I talked about them, they were valued somewhere around the $100 range. So that's a pretty steep drop. They've dropped about 30 something dollars. And I'm not here to tell you why, because telling you why stocks go up and down has so many variables behind it that you can't really truly explain it. But I am here to tell you I think it's kind of getting undervalued. And because I was just lucky enough to stumble upon the price action today, I wanted to let you know about it. Because I know that the next time I'm getting my paycheck, I'm probably going to be putting in a play on this. Because I've wanted to buy some overstock shares, but they've been a bit pricey, and I'm also still trying to save for a house. So it's kind of difficult trying to save for a house and wanting to always continuously invest in the stock market, but I'm trying to make it work. And I figure since this podcast is all about transparency, I'll let you know what I have on my mind for my personal picks as well. I'm definitely not going to be one of those guys to buy shit and tell you to buy an after. If anything, I'll always tell you what I'm looking into. And before I make any serious acquisitions, and I'm not talking just stupid day trades and swing trades, I'll let you know as a listener. So if you want to keep track with my personal portfolio as well, and not just this apes one, you're more than welcome to. But for right now, I can let you know that a lot of my portfolio is driven by GameStop. And that's just because I believe they're truly transforming from a cyclical company to a growth company. And that leaves a lot of room for their market cap to grow, which means a lot of my investment can grow too. And not just mine, but millions of other retailers and apes out there that are hodling strong for a better future. And there's this coin term that it's smart not to put all of your eggs in one basket, But for now, I have most of my eggs in one basket, at least on a personal standpoint, because I have a strong belief in the company. I definitely know, in order to be a successful investor moving on, you can't just invest in one company. Which is why with the more research and analysis I do on real plays, I'll let you know on this podcast what they are, because not every play is going to be affordable for this podcast's sake. And I figure it wouldn't hurt to tell you what I'm also doing with my personal investments as well. And Overstock is definitely a company I've had my eye on to make a personal investment for a bit. And it looks like they're finally starting to reach a price range that I like. So I'll be sure to tell you on this podcast when I plan on buying some Overstock shares. I'm probably not going to be as transparent as the Apes portfolio where I say I'm going to buy it Friday at this time. But I'll probably tell you something along the lines like, oh, I'm going to be getting my paycheck and I'll put in $1,000 in my brokerage account and just spend it on Overstock. This way, you can see how I also think about my financial investments on a personal level too, not just for this apes portfolio. This way, you get a little bit of both worlds. But now I'll redirect my attention back to this apes portfolio because I'll have one more crypto play I want to make this weekend. You see, along with the 10 shares of ADGI I'm going to be buying on Friday morning, and my plan is to buy it Friday morning like the second the market opens, so I hope you're an early riser if you want to follow this play. And then for the crypto segment, since I've got about $76 worth of cash to play around, I plan on buying some more Doge. My reasoning, just like every other crypto, is because they've fallen. But out of all of my cryptos, Doge has fallen the most. Since my initial buy-in, I'm about 30% down in my total gains, which is a loss. So what my plan's gonna be is to average down in the Doge department. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be buying $25 worth of Doge The second after I'm done buying my 10 shares of ADGI. So Friday morning, after I buy my 10 shares of ADGI on my TD Ameritrade account at 6.30am, well, anywhere between 6.30am and 6.40, give me like 10 minutes to figure shit out, what my plan will be after I buy my shares is to buy $25 worth of Doge. And I'll let you know what my buy-in prices were for Doge and ADGI on Monday's episode. But just like with all my future picks and past picks I've made, I'm giving you the chance to follow along if you choose to do so. Granted, this play is a little bit more on short notice because you have to have listened to the episode on Thursday or Friday, but if you happen to listen to this episode over the weekend, you can still make this play on a Monday or Tuesday. Just because you happen to listen to an episode too late, 
doesn't mean the stock isn't still a good buy. And I'll be sure to give you plenty of heads up on what my exit strategy is for each stock. Especially with something like this, this speculative. Because you might think, well what if he decides to rug pull me and sell at any given moment? Well, I'm never going to do that. And I also don't have enough buying power to commit a rug pull where I actually take money from you by selling shares. But if you're still a little weary, my advice, don't do anything. Just wait it out and see if I'm a man of my word when time comes to actually sell a stock for this portfolio. You'll see what the process is then, and you'll see, oh shit, he's actually right. So that's going to be wrapping up the investing segment for today. I'll give you a quick recap in that tomorrow, I plan on buying 10 shares of the stock ADGI in the morning the second the market opens, and then after I place that trade, I'll be buying $25 worth of Doge off of my Coinbase account. Reason being, well, Doge fell so much, why not average down? So the next time I talk to all you beautiful apes, I'll be letting you know at what price I bought my stock at and what the new average is on our Doge cost. It'll be less than 26 cents, I'll tell you that for sure. So until next time, ape out. Yeah, baby, that's the noise and sound we make after we hit a plus 2500 odds parlay. Because had I known that shit was gonna hit, I would've put my whole fucking life on it. But nonetheless, we hit the first real bet on this podcast, and I'm super fucking stoked. So let's go! But now to calm things down a little bit. A warm welcome to all my degenerates out there, and anyone that just likes to listen to this part of the sports gambling segment. My plan for today is to recap the reason I started off this segment a little bit different today with my NFL 10 team pick teaser that won and then I'll quickly run through the round robins I created for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then because of that $250 bet we won, I felt like putting in some extra bets. So this weekend everything's going to be around football again, but we're going to be throwing in college football as well. And the primary reason is because it's bull week. So throughout the course of this weekend, with college football, there's going to be about 42 bowls being played. That's an insane amount. Now, I'm not going to be betting every single one because I, one, don't have that much money, and two, I'm not going to waste that much time on this podcast, over 42 bowls. I don't even know a sliver of these 84 teams. But what I did do was look over the bowl games, and from, and from factors varying off of the funny names of the bowls or teams that I just recognize, I decided to pick eight of them to represent an around robin slate of mine. The bowl games I have decided to choose for this slate are the Cotton, Orange, Rose, Cure, Alamo, Music City, Fiesta, and Duke Mayo Bowl. Or for the last one, Duke Mayo Bowl, as I like to call it, the Ken Griffin Bowl. So starting off with the Cotton Bowl, we're going to be having number four Cincinnati visiting number one Alabama. And for this matchup, I like Alabama to roll over Cincinnati, and their spread is set at two touchdowns. Moving on to the Orange Bowl, we have number three Georgia visiting number two Michigan. For this one, Georgia has been ranked number one all season up until the last week where they lost to Alabama. So I definitely like Georgia to come out strong, regardless if they're the visitors. And even though they're not at home, they're still favored by eight points. And I like them to win by more than this eight point margin because they've been dominating their opponents all season long up until they had to face Alabama. The next game I have on the slate is the Rose Bowl, and we're going to have number 10 Utah visiting number 7 Ohio State. For this one, I could see Utah pulling off an upset because they've been on fire lately in the last run of the season, but I'm going to stick with my gut here and just pick Ohio State. They seem like a big time school that wins these bowl games that matter, especially against teams like Utah, no offense. The next bowl I have on my list is the Cure Bowl. The only reason I chose the Cure Bowl is because it has Coastal Carolina in it. I think we have a team Northern Illinois and they're going to be visiting Coastal Carolina. And what I'll be doing is I'll be choosing Coastal Carolina to cover their spread. The next game I chose is actually going to be an upset and it comes in the Alamo Bowl. I chose the visiting number 15 seed Oregon to upset Oklahoma. One of the next bowls I have on my list is the Music City Bowl. I chose this one just because it has a nice ring to it. And I saw that Tennessee is visiting Purdue. 
I don't know too much about these teams or anything about them, so I'm just going to stick with the Longhorns since that's all I know. Plus, Tennessee normally looks good in orange, and I think since they're going to be the visitors, they're going to be in orange uniforms. So I'm strictly sticking to a code that they're going to look good and play good. And they're playing in a Music City Bowl. And I would have felt wrong if I only had one underdog for this round robin, so the second underdog is going to be coming from my Fiesta Bowl. And it's going to be number 9 Oklahoma State, who is visiting number 5 Notre Dame. I think Oklahoma State has been playing pretty well to finish off the season, and I think they're going to put up a fight against Notre Dame. I think this game has a chance to be close, and who knows, maybe there's a mistake made on the end that helps Oklahoma State win. So I'll be sticking with their money line, since they're an underdog in this matchup. And now this takes me to the final game of my slate, which is going to be North Carolina visiting South Carolina. This is a battle of the North and South, and I'm not talking about historical tents. And the name of this bowl is called the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So I'm guessing this is a bowl inspired by mayo. And that is why I'm going to be putting an asterisk in my book and renaming this bowl Ken Griffin's Bowl. Because Ken Griffin, Mr. CEO and money manager of Citadel Securities, is a huge fan of mayo and I think it's his favorite snack. Allegedly. Because I don't want to get sued for slander or anything by a bunch of pansies. And for this matchup, I like North Carolina to cover their spread. I don't really know too much about the matchups, but I just remember back in the day when I played college football on video games, and I'd always play as North Carolina, and they always seem to have their shit together. So I guess my pick is going to be with North Carolina in this Ken Griffin's Mayo Bowl. So I've given you the side that I'm going to be taking for all my 8 bowl games, and now I'm going to give you the actual bet slip that I put in. You see, I figured if I can input some of these bets before I upload the episode, why don't I do that instead? Because then you at least know the lines that I have my game set at. And then at least in terms of explaining what I'll be rooting for, you'll have a better sense. Now there's definitely going to be times when I make certain gambling picks, and the lines aren't going to be out there. So for times like that, I'll just continue to do what I've been doing. I'll let you know the side I'll take, and then whether it's the spread to choose or their money line. So now I'll let you know exactly what bet slip I created for my college football bowl season round robin. I have Coastal Carolina at minus 10.5, so this means they have to win by 11. I have Oregon's money line, and they were plus 165 when I got them. I have Alabama to cover a spread of minus 14. I have Tennessee to cover a spread of minus 4.5. I have Georgia to cover a spread of minus 8.5. I have Ohio State to cover a spread of minus 6.5. North Carolina to cover a spread of minus 8.5. And then Oklahoma State as another money line underdog. And I got them in at plus 115. For this round robin bet, I put $2 risk on every parlay created, so I risked a total of $56 on this college football bet slip. I'm also going to be sticking strong to my prediction that we're going to be seeing an Alabama and Georgia championship game. And not only that, I think we're going to see them win in convincing fashions during their semifinals. So to go alongside my little college football round robin play, I'm going to be putting a two-team parlay pick. And it's going to be Alabama to cover their spread of minus 14. And then I actually bought Georgia at minus 8 to cover their spread. And I'll be putting $25 on that parlay. So all I need for this bet is Alabama to win by at least 14 and Georgia to win by at least 8. If those two things happen, this $25 bet slip hits. So for college football, I'm going to be having one round robin and one parlay. And it's a two-team parlay. So it's not as wild as I've done in the past. And that's going to be it for my college football bets, so now I'll move on to the NFL. Starting with the Chiefs visiting the Chargers for Thursday night football tonight. This is a bad spot for the Chargers because the Chiefs are getting healthy and they're starting to click on defense. Not only that, but this is a game that the Chiefs know they can start pulling away from the Chargers if they win. Because they're up only one game right now in the division, but being this late in the season, if they can make it two games, they can essentially clinch the division. However, if they lose, then the division is up for grabs. So I think the Chiefs are going to come to play, and I'm definitely leaning on their side. Now we've got a little NFL special this weekend, because we have two games being played on Saturday. Well, at least one for sure. Right now, one's up in the air, but I'm pretty sure the NFL is not going to cancel a game. We've got the Raiders at the Browns, and then the Patriots at the Colts. Now the Browns have been having huge COVID issues, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they come out to play. Originally before all the COVID issues, and by issues I mean they have about 17 personnel out for this game, I had the Browns to win easily because they essentially control their fate. 
You see, if they would have won this game against the Raiders, they're putting themselves in a good playoff seat. And with the Raiders having fallen off a cliff ever since all those off-the-field issues, I figured this would be a perfect spot for the Browns to get an easy win at home, to get a pretty simple easy win at home, and keep their playoff positioning well and strong. But now with all this personnel out, I think it's going to be a lot tougher of a challenge. Don't get me wrong, I'm still going to be leaning on the Browns side, because I think what we're going to see here is a very low scoring game. I think the Browns are going to try and win this game very ugly, like 10-6 to 6 or something stupid like that. And even though it's the NFL, I feel like that game is going to get lost on Saturday, especially with all the bowl games going on, and the fact that the Patriots are playing the Colts, which I think will be a better game. And speaking of the Patriots playing the Colts, I think this is a position where you can look at this game and you can overthink it too much. My take on this is to not overthink it. The Patriots are going to go into Indianapolis because they have the number one seed in their hands and they're going to win. They have this strong defense and they're playing Carson Wentz. Look, as an Eagles fan, I can tell you right now, Bill Belichick is going to throw so many things at Carson Wentz that I think he's going to struggle. The one thing I could see working out for the Colts in this game is if somehow the defense shuts down the Pats offense and the running game works really well. I don't think Carson Wentz is going to come out there and beat the Patriots. One thing I could see from this game though is a very high scoring affair because two coaches you've got on the opposite sides of the fields are Bill Belichick and Frank Reich. And one other infamous matchup scenario they've had is Super Bowl 52 where my Philadelphia Eagles beat the Patriots. But that's not really what mattered. What mattered in that game is it was super high scoring. So if you also want to place a side bet, I would go with the over in this. But I'm just going to stick with the Patriots, and I'll be choosing them. And for some dumb reason, they're actually underdogs for this game. And after the two games we have on Saturday, which is pretty cool that we have these Saturday special games, I'm going to be moving on to the Sunday game slates. Starting off with the Titans who are visiting the Steelers. This is a game where the Titans are still a pretty banged up and injured team, and last week they were given a grace period by playing the Jacksonville Jaguars off of a bye. Now I believe the Steelers were going to win that Thursday night football game against the Minnesota Vikings, and they put in a very valiant effort, but they came up short again. Nonetheless, this time they're at home, and this time their backs are really against the wall, because if they lose this game, they can pretty much say goodbye to any playoff hopes they have. And they're getting a pretty banged up Tennessee Titans team that's coming in, and they know damn well that the Titans don't have any running backs to run the ball. So I think the Steelers' defense is going to have full control of this game, and as long as the offense doesn't ruin it and turn it over, the Steelers are going to find a way to win this game. So I'm definitely leaning on the Steelers for this game, because it's impossible to fake desperation this late into the season. And, mixed with all the injuries the Titans have, I just think it's going to be too much to overcome for Ryan Tannehill, especially to try and take on that whole Pittsburgh defense. And then the next game I'll give some quick analysis on is the Panthers visiting the Buffalo Bills. This is a quick game that the Bills know they need to win because, well, they're playing the Patriots next. So this means within a four game span, the Bills will have played the Patriots, the Bucks, they're now going to be playing the Panthers this week, and then next week they have to play the Patriots again. That's a pretty rough four game span. And they know that the Panthers mix in there has to be a win, especially if they want to keep a high playoff seating. So I think this is definitely a game the Bills can dominate, and it helps with the Panthers not really having a true quarterback. And this next game I'm going to talk about has a tiny bit of bias, but I will say as an Eagles fan, I'm feeling good going into it. And we've got the Washington football team going to visit the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a game where the Eagles are coming off a bye, and the Washington football team are coming off a horrendous game where the score looks a lot closer than it truly was. Nonetheless, because this is a divisional game and both these teams have huge implications for this matchup, I think it'll be a close one. I like Philly to win, but covering their spread might be a tough ask because they're at minus 7 right now. I won't be dumb enough to bet against my team because I've done that in the past and I've won, but it just never feels good, so I'll let you decide if you want to bet against them. But what I'll tell you right now, I think it's going to be a really close game and minus 7 for Philly is not something I would trust my money with but I would trust them enough to get the win. Alright, and then for this next game, we've got the Texans who are going to be visiting the Jags. The only analysis I have for this is that Urban Meyer is hated by the Jags, and the Texans are actually trying, so I'll be going with Houston in this game. That's all the analysis I'm going to be giving. The next game I want to move on to is the Cowboys visiting the Giants. 
This, I think, actually has a potential to be a trap game. And I'm saying that in a very biased manner because I do want the Cowboys to lose, but I seriously think this is one of those games where we look at the Giants, who have absolutely no business doing anything in this game whatsoever, and they're going to find a way to win. And this is just one of the games on the slates that I'm kind of rooting for to be a trap game because it would imply the Giants are winning. It also has the perfect implications for a trap game because it's a divisional game and the Giants are at home. And they've looked like trash for a straight month. With all of that said, I would still be leaning on the Giants going into this game. Then the next morning game we've got is the Arizona Cardinals visiting the Detroit Lions. And I think this is a game where the Cardinals get back and the Lions just don't really look too good. Also, even though the Cardinals gave up the number one seed by losing to the Rams on Monday Night Football, doesn't mean they're out of it. So they're definitely going to be hunting down that number one seed. And although they lost DeAndre Hopkins and some key players due to injuries, they're going to be playing the Lions. So I definitely would choose the Cardinals in this game. The next game I'll move on to is going to be the Jets visiting the Dolphins. And the Dolphins have a chance to continue this huge win streak they're on, which would put them in a pretty decent spot to start fighting for that 7th seed playoff spot. It also helps that the Jets are falling apart at the end of the season, but I think the Jets have one more win in them. I don't think it's going to be against the Dolphins because the Jets have a stupid tendency to beat a good team. So I think Tua is going to find a way with Miami to beat the Jets, but watch out for these Jets because they're bound to play a team later on this season that they shouldn't beat and they're going to find a way to play amazing. And then after that Jets and Dolphins game, we're going to be finishing off that morning slate and now I'm going to be moving on to the afternoon slate. And the first game in the afternoon slate is going to be the Bengals who are visiting the Broncos. Now the Bengals are going to be underdogs in this matchup, and I'm not sure why. Because in my opinion, the Broncos are essentially like the Raiders in terms of being like a team, without all of the off-the-field issues. And the Bengals are in a desperate mode because they need to win in order to keep their playoff hopes alive, especially because they lost to San Francisco last week. So I'll definitely be leaning on the Bengals for that matchup. The next game I have to talk about is going to be the Atlanta Falcons visiting the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are getting healthy, and they're starting to look really good which really sucks for the Falcons because they need this win to keep their playoff chances alive. Now I think the line is set too high because San Francisco is favored to win by at least 9 points and I think the Falcons are going to find a way to keep this a close game. Especially because the Niners are at home and they haven't really been the best home team as of late. Even though they're on fire right now, I think the Falcons are going to fight hard and at least cover a 9 point spread. And also in terms of my NFC Beast playoff implicator, I really need the Falcons to do me a solid here and just pull off an upset win because I need the Niners to start losing some games if I want the Eagles and the Washington football team to get the 7th and 6th seed. And the next game I'll move on to is another divisional matchup where it's going to be the Seahawks visiting the Rams. The Seahawks are starting to get a little bit hot at the right time. Last week I said it was their get right game to beat the Texans and they started doing so in the second half of that game. This also has the Rams coming off a nice win on Monday Night Football against the Cardinals. But that could mean they're coming off a high and in my opinion they put out all their effort on Monday night with the lack of corners they had. If they have the same backfield issues with Seattle coming into town I think Russ is going to try and find a way to pick apart the Rams and he might be able to. Regardless with all the signs that this might be a trap game for the Rams, I'm still going to be choosing them to cover whatever spread they have. But that's just something to keep an eye on, because in this matchup if you ask me, Seattle's definitely going to be the more desperate team, so they definitely have reason to come out and play harder. Plus you've got the Rams coming off of a high by just beating the Cardinals, so it's a perfect storm for an upset. But even though the storm spells upset, I'm going to be going against it, and I'm going to say the Rams are going to win and cover their spread as well. And then this upcoming game, depending on who's healthy to play in it, it might actually be a really good game because you've got the Packers visiting the Baltimore Ravens. Now on defense, I feel bad for the Ravens because they've been losing their secondary and they're a very injured team. So I think Aaron Rodgers has a very good chance to pick them apart. But if the Ravens have Lamar Jackson, I think we could be in for a pretty nice game and the Ravens could keep it close if they can keep control of the ball. If the Ravens don't have Lamar Jackson, look for Green Bay to dominate especially now that they are in control of the number one seed and the destiny is in their hands. And now I'm left with two games, Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football. So let me start off with the Sunday Night matchup, which is going to be the Saints who are visiting the Bucks. I think this is going to be an unfair game where the Bucks destroy because the Bucks are getting healthy and they're going to want revenge from the last time the Saints beat them earlier in the season. 
I have a heavy lean on the Bucks to win this game and cover their spread. There's only one reason I would lean away from it. And there's a reminder that I think a year or two ago, the Saints were visiting the Bucks in the exact same situation. It was late in the season. It was Sunday night. I believe there was a storm in Tampa Bay. And right before the game, I said, oh, Tampa Bay has this. And I put like a $50 bet on their spread. And I think they lost the game 45-3. to Now granted, the Saints had Drew Brees back then. And this time they have Taysom Hill going in. But that image and that memory is in the back of my head. So that's the only reason I'm slightly just slightly worried that the Saints might win. But I put that little experience behind me, and I'll be sticking with my gut and staying with the Bucks for this pick. And then to wrap up Week 15, for Monday Night Football, we've got the Minnesota Vikings at the Bears. Now this is a back-to-back primetime game for the Bears, and they didn't do too bad last game. They put up a pretty solid matchup against the Packers, and I gotta thank them and give them mad respects for finding a way to at least lose by 7 points to the Packers because that definitely helped me secure that 10 pick NFL team teaser. Also, I understand why Minnesota is going to be favored in this game because they have something to play for, but I think the Bears also have something to play for and that's that they get to play the spoiler role early on because if the Bears are able to beat the Vikings, it's not going to end their playoff season, but it's going to really hurt it because the Vikings can't afford to lose right now unless they get a lot of help from other teams losing as well. And the Bears were able to play the Packers pretty well, and considering that they're going to have to play back-to-back primetime games, I think they're going to step up against the Vikings and find a way to win. Because I just have a feeling that teams don't like to lose back-to-back weeks, especially if it's on primetime TV. So with that in mind, I'll be leaning on the Bears to finish off this week 15. Okay, so that was the analysis I've decided to give you on every single game. That doesn't mean I'm going to have action on every single game for this podcast. But that's just the way I'm leaning for my personal bets as well. For this Apes portfolio, the bet slips I've decided to incorporate were three parlays, one round robin, and then I decided to keep my luck running with this 10-pick NFL team teaser plays. So starting off with the parlays, the first one, which is a simple one, is going to be with the game today, the Chiefs to cover their spread, and then the Patriots on Saturday to beat the Colts. For this bet slip, I got the Chiefs to cover their spread at minus 3.5, and then I chose the Patriots money line because they were an underdog. I put $25 on this bet pick, so if the Chiefs are able to win by 4 and the Patriots win, I'm going to win this bet. Moving on to the next parlay I decided to have, it's actually a 4-team pick parlay, but once I dive into the pick, you'll actually see how it's more of a three-team pick parlay because I really only need three things to happen. So the way I'm going to do that is by making my first parlay the Falcons money line, the Bucks money line, the Bears money line, and then I'm going to be putting the Washington football team's money line, and I'm going to be putting a $5 bet on that four-team pick parlay. Now this is why I'm telling you it's technically a three-team pick parlay. I'm going to be making a separate parlay bet slip that has the Falcons, Bucks, and Bears money lines, And instead of having the Washington football team this time, I'm going to be choosing the Eagles money line. And I'm putting $5 on that parlay. So I'm creating two separate parlays, four team selections, three of them are the same, and I'm only switching the winners between the Washington football and the Eagles game. The reason I'm doing this is because technically on my NFL playoff machine, it doesn't matter who wins this matchup between the Washington football team and the Eagles. I technically need the Eagles and Washington football team to go three out of the next four, both of them respectively, and then this NFC beast projection can come to life. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's a small thing I'll be rooting for, so I decided to put this bet in just for fun. And now onto my more realistic bet slip for the NFL, it's going to be my round robin picks. And it's not an underdog slate I've decided to make, but it's primarily comprised of underdogs. Because I chose the Patriots, Steelers, Texans, Bengals, Bears, and Chargers money line since they were all underdogs. And remember that the Chargers are playing today and the Patriots are playing on Saturday. I also decided to mix in the Jets at plus 10, so this means that they have to at least cover a spread of plus 10. And I chose the Buccaneers for Sunday Night Football to cover their spread of minus 11. For this round robin bet slip, I put $2 risk on every single parlay created, so I risked 56 total dollars on this bet slip. Alright, and drum roll please. Because are you ready to see if we can go back to back with our 
10 pick NFL team teasers? If we do, I swear to God, I'll be so stoked. But I've decided to keep this little tradition going because, as you can see, I risked $10, and if I get it right, I win $250. So now technically, because I've won one, I can place this bet 24 more times before I start losing money on this theory. And I'd only be losing money if I lost 24 straight picks of these. Which is a possibility, but let's see if we can go back to back, which would be amazing. So I've already bought my bet slip for this teaser, and if you want to follow along, but you don't get the exact lines I have, I would say just pick the teams I did and just buy yourself a 6 point teaser. I don't like messing around with the 6.5 or 7 point teasers, because I don't really nitpick in trying to buy half a point. Regardless, here's the bet slip I chose to try and go back to back in my NFL 10 pick team teasers. Jesus Christ, that's a tongue twister. So for this bet slip, I have the Chiefs at plus 3, so this means they can lose by 3 points and still cover. I have the Patriots at plus 8.5. I have the Eagles at minus 1. I have the Steelers at plus 7.5. I have the Cardinals at minus 7. The Bengals at plus 8.5. The Bills at minus 4.5, the Falcons at plus 15, the Buccaneers at minus 5, and then to finish off Monday Night Football, the Bears at plus 9.5. So I'll be risking $10 on this bet slip. I need all of those spreads I just listed to hit, and if it happens, we're going to be going back to back in these picks, and we will win another $250, which will be insane. And you want to know what's the best thing about all these bet picks I just made? I'm going to be risking about 182 total dollars on all of these selections. Well, we've won 250 of it off of a stupid bet selection. And a lot of this right now is house money. So if I'm able to win some of these bets or even become profitable on these bets, I've just transformed house money into profit, which is where you can start turning into some serious gains. You can also go downhill if you're not too careful. Trust me, I've been there and I've done it and I will probably continue to do so. And that's all I've got for you today for the sports gambling segment. I've got my college football bowl season round robin picks, my Alabama and Georgia parlay, I've got my NFL round robin, the NFC beast parlays, my attempt to go back to back in the NFL 10 team pick teasers, and then I have the parlay of the Chiefs covering their spread of minus three and a half tonight and the Patriots to win on Saturday. So whether you decide to fade or follow my picks with the small amount of analysis I gave you, I hope you find a way to make money somehow, because that's really all I care about. So until next time, my friendly degenerates, ape out. Welcome back class. Today's lesson is going to be on the statement of cash flows. On Monday I went over the income statement and the balance sheet and today we're going to be wrapping up all the financial statements with the last one. And the statement of cash flows is typically the one that's prepared last because it relies on information off of the income statement and the balance sheet. And then just like an income statement, the statement of cash flows measures a company's performance over a period of time. And the performance that is measured is the cash flows. But given the name, I'm sure you could have guessed that. But what's important about this statement is it shows how well a company can manage its cash positions. So it shows you as an investor how well a company generates its cash inflows and outflows from its operations. And then you're also given the information on how the company is choosing to invest and be financed. Because this statement of cash flows is split off into three sections. You've got your operating cash flows, your investing cash flows, and your financing cash flows. So with this statement, you can see how a company's cash flows are doing in three different areas. And the first area I'll talk about is the operating activities. At the top part of your section in the operating activities, you're going to start off with your net income, which you get off of your income statement. And what you're going to have to do is adjust this net income for what was actually cash and what wasn't cash. Now that sounds very confusing, and I'm not sure how to explain it super simply. So I'll use accounts receivables and inventory to at least show you an example of it. So the way you would figure out if there was technically a cash increase in accounts receivable or inventory is to see what the difference is on the balance sheet from last year's amount to this year's amount. So now let's say for our inventory amount on the balance sheet, there was an increase from the last year to this current amount. The adjustment that we would have to make on the net income for the operating activities section for the cash flows 
is we would have to subtract the amount because we would have to assume that the increase in inventory was paid with in cash. And I hope that makes sense. So let's say last year our inventory amount was 5 and this year it's 10. This means there was an increase in our inventory by 5 units. Well we have to assume that that change in 5 units was paid for in cash. So in order to show this is an operating activity, well we have to subtract this 5 unit change from our net income. Because on that income statement, it's going to be showing inventory as a unit of 10. But in terms of how much cash was actually changed that hand, the units are only 5. So do you see how there's a difference in the statement of cash flows in the income statement? Because with the income statement, you're keeping track of revenues and expenses for a certain period of time. Whereas with the statement of cash flows, you're making sure to keep track of the actual cash movement in that period of time. It's kind of how I explained the accounts receivable lesson, where you can say you have this much money, but until you actually collect it, you don't really have it. It's the same principle here. On your income statement, you can report all kinds of revenues and find different ways to minimize those expenses so your bottom line looks nicer. But at the end of the day, if you're not able to cash in on this credit, then it all means nothing. And the statement of cash flows is a big indicator on where you can get some of these heads up. And now how would we have to adjust for our net income on the operating levels if the accounts receivable rose? So let's use our same example. Last year accounts receivable on the balance sheet was at 5 units and this year it's at 10. So there was an increase of 5 accounts receivable units. Well, knowing what we know about accounts receivable, what this means is the company got 5 more extra units of, you know, credit. Money that they're eventually going to collect upon. But we can't view this as cash because, well, we haven't actually collected it. So an increase in accounts receivable, although it sounds counterintuitive, is actually going to be subtracted from your total net income that starts off your operating activities. And the reason is because your net income takes into account for this accounts receivable number. But the net change in accounts receivables on the balance sheet shows us that there was five additional units of accounts receivables that have not actually been collected on cash. So we'd have to take away the increase in accounts receivables from the net income to actually show how much of the net income was truly cash. So the reason the operating activities section for the statement of cash flows is such a pain in the ass is because you start off with your net income at the top and then you have to adjust your assets and liabilities off of your income statement and balance sheet in order to show the true movement of cash within that period of time. And then after calculating all of your adjustments to your net income, you get your true cash flows for your operating activities for that period. And depending on which stage your company is in, it's important to know the operating cash flows because if a company is at the beginning of its life cycle, most often or not, these cash flows are going to be negative, but you're going to want to know exactly what they are because then you'll at least know the exact money they need to keep their operations running. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, if you have a successful company that has a positive cash flow, you can keep track of how they're managing their expenses on an operational level and how well they're doing on collecting on their cash. You can also see if they're growing in different areas if the cash flows continue to grow as well. Using the statement of cash flows, especially in the operating activities section, can give you a really good idea of a company's strength, especially because it lets you know how their inner operations are working and it lets you know how much money they either blow through each quarter or how much they manage to make. And this is all based on the core of their operations. So this is what keeps their engine running. So if you will, in a car, the operating activities section for this cash flow statement is your engine. Without it being in good condition, you're pretty much shit out of luck. And for comparison for your EV folks out there, that'd be like if you didn't have your AA batteries to power your vehicle. And then after you get a makeup of a company's cash flows from their operating standpoint, the next thing you would want to look into is how the company is spending their money in investing and financing. So the first one of the two segments I'll talk about is the investing activities. These next two segments are pretty much cut and dry compared to the operating activities because in the investing cash flow section, the company is going to be including exactly what it states, all the cash flows they use for investments. So this means all of the cash flows they use to purchase property, plant, equipment, anything that's long-term, and then if they manage to sell any long-term assets. Maybe they sell some land. Maybe they sell a building. The gains they would gain off of this, they would put into the investing cash flow. And then on the other hand, if the company was looking into expanding more and they started buying more equipment, more buildings, more land, they would be including this information on the cash flows. 
So typically your investing cash flows is going to be negative and that's not a bad thing because it'll show you what your company is investing in. And then it's up to you to determine if you want to continue to hold on to your company because they're making good investments or if they're not making good ones. And then the final section for the statement of cash flows is your financing activities. And these cash flows from your financing activities are typically ones that include borrowing and repaying back bank loans or when a company issues or buybacks shares. Also, if certain companies pay out dividends, they're going to be including the dividend payment on this financing cash flows. So the main purpose of this area is for the company to show you how they're using their money to finance themselves. So for a quick recap on the statement of cash flows on everything I've told you so far, we have three primary areas that let us know how a company performed with their cash inflows over a certain period of time. Those are the operating, investing, and financing activities. Starting off with our operating activities, we take our net income from the income statement and then we have to adjust it using certain assets and liabilities off of the income statement and balance sheet to reflect the true movement of cash for that time period. And by doing so, this lets us investors know how a company is able to perform on an operational basis with their actual cash flows. Then moving on to the next section, we have the investing activities, where a company lets us know what kind of stuff they are investing in. Are they investing in buildings, land, equipment, and exactly how much? Also, if you notice that during a certain time period there was a huge acquisition in the investing activities for your company, look up any acquisitions recently made by that company. Most often or not, these news articles with these huge acquisitions line up with these quarterly earnings reports. So you can get an idea of what the acquisition was and you can determine for yourself if the company made a good investment or not. Some pretty cool stuff if you do some digging. And then we have the final area in our statement of cash flows, which is the financing activities. And in these activities, the company lets us know how they're financing themselves. They let us know how much debt they're taking out, the payments they're making on their debt, any amount of other obligations, and if the company issues a dividend, how much they actually paid out. Which if you're invested in a company for their dividends, you'll want to make sure to even check their earnings report and make sure they consistently pay out this dividend. Because the last thing you'll want to do is invest in a company for their dividend and then realize that they stopped paying it two years ago. And then since the statement of cash flows is a measure over a period of time, what your primary objective is when you're looking at this is to see how much cash changed over this certain period of time. And the way you do that is you just take all of these changes in these operating, investing, and financing activities and you add them all up. So you add what the net change is in your operating section, what the net change is in the investing section, and what your net change is for your financing section. And then by adding up all three of those sections, you can find out the change in cash a certain company had over a period of time. So you get to see how efficient a company's use of cash is. And then typically a layout for the statement of cash flows is going to have the beginning cash amount at the very top and then it's going to have these operating activities, investing activities, and financing activities laid out before you. And then at the very bottom it's going to have the ending cash amount for the ending period. That ending cash amount in that ending period is what the ending cash amount on your balance sheet is going to be. So what you'll notice is with these financial statements is a lot of them pick and choose off of each other because these financial statements are all interrelated somehow. They're all meant to show you some kind of aspect in the business that you can dissect metrically. And by doing this, it should at least give you a fair shot as an investor to determine if certain companies are better options than others. So now I'm hoping that I was able to summarize the income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flows in a way that's easy to interpret even if you don't understand all of this financial jargon BS. Because all I truly want you to understand is to know what you're looking at when you're even looking at these financial statements. You don't necessarily have to understand all of the numbers in between them, and you don't even have to know how to break down the numbers to get simpler ratios so you can compare stuff easier that way. All you have to understand is that when you're looking at a balance sheet, you know you're looking at a snapshot. When you're looking at the income statement and statement of cash flows, you're looking at performances that are measured over time. For the income statement's sake, you're looking at the revenues and expenses over a certain period of time. And then for the statement of cash flows, you're looking at all the cash inflows and outflows adjusted accordingly for that certain period of time. I promise you, you don't have to actually look at these financial statements. But if you ever get curious into going long on a stock, and what I mean by that is continuously investing in a stock for the next 5 or 10 years because you believe in it, then it would definitely help to look at the financial statements. 
even if you don't understand what you're looking at at first. Because I guarantee you that as you look at these financial statements, as the company has more earnings calls and you keep pitching in and paying attention, you're going to learn a thing or two every now and then. You don't have to know how to prepare these statements, and you don't have to learn how every single account works. But just understanding the general conceptual idea behind these financial statements can actually help you in making stock picking decisions. Because now when you look at these statements, you can at least look at the bottom lines for everything and get a general idea for how a company is doing. Sure, you might not be a neurosurgeon, but even you know the importance of Advil in a blue Gatorade after a hangover. It's the same thing. You can choose to remain ignorant about it and have a raging headache for the rest of your day, or you can pop an Advil in the morning and have a blue Gatorade for breakfast, and by noon you'll be all fine. The way I see it, the choice is yours to be ignorant about this kind of stuff or not. And since I'm trying to find a way to retire off of this shit, I'm definitely not trying to be ignorant. Because there have been numerous examples from past predecessors of how you can make a true living on this and even retire off of this market shit. Because the Warren Buffetts, Kathy Woods, Nancy Pelosi's, and Ray Dalio's of the world, well they found out how to run an IV from their arms straight to the Gatorade factories. And they pop these Advils like motherfuckers. Because they not only know how to read and interpret these financial statements, they know how to model out and create their own. And then they can stack this up against real earnings. Shit's pretty wild, but they've made a killing off of it. And just sit back and think about what they get to do. They get to sit back and read other companies' earnings reports, compare it to their models that they've created, and then play with billions and trillions of dollars of cash like it's Monopoly in the market. It's a fucking fantastic job, ladies and gentlemen, and it's only possible in this capitalistic world. And by no means is this a negative statement. Because if you think about it, anyone using their brain power and enough research can become one of these Warren Buffetts, Ray Dalios, Kathy Woods, or Nancy Pelosi's if you're just a politician with insider trading. And even if it's not your lifelong goal to be mentioned amongst those people or get anywhere near their accolades, it's the fact that you even have a chance to sit at the table because of the system that you're in. And I'm not here to say that the system isn't built to have cards stacked against you because the house is always meant to win. But I can tell you this, if you know the rules and you know how the games are typically meant to be played, you have a better chance of surviving and the house has enough money to give it out to you if you win. Remember, just because the house is meant to always win, doesn't mean they always need to. So if you find out how much time you're willing to put into learning these rules, well, you can learn how to beat the house. Until then, stop acting surprised that the house is taking your money. And I wish I could tell you the rules to these games were as simple as a manual for a monopoly, but unfortunately it's not because even I'm still learning to read these rules right now. Well class, that's going to be wrapping up the lesson for today, so I hope this week you were able to learn a little bit more about the financial statements, and that you found the lessons to be somewhat informative even if it was a little bit boring. Try and keep in mind, a lot of the market shit is very boring. I'm just trying to see if there's a way to relay what's in my mind out here to you, so this way hopefully you can make some stupid gains off of your computer screen as well. And if you've made it this far into the lesson, I just want to say thank you, love you, and until next time, ape out.
remember, cash is king, cash is king.